What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We like to drop these in between our full episodes. Our full episodes, of course, are video video episodes, and they are chock full of goodness, a whole bunch of headlines and dope guests and all that stuff, and dope graphics as well. And actually, actually, let me stop there. Um, if you are listening to us on Spotify, just so you know, Spotify now allows us to upload our video version of our show to Spotify directly. So if you go to our most recent full episode with the uh, super dope principal, Michael Essien, if you play that on Spotify, you'll see that the video will be right there automatically playing. And you'll see what I'm talking about when I say that we have a very dope video that takes a while to edit and put together, which is why in between those full episodes, we drop these audio only episodes of passing period where Jeff and myself, I'm Manuel Reston, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. Um, this is where we discuss stories that maybe didn't make it into our most recent full episodes. And Jeff, man, psh, a lot happening in the world, as always, as always. A lot of folks who are listening are either on their Thanksgiving break or heading into their Thanksgiving break. And yeah, man, we just want something something positive this week. You know what I'm saying? Something free from the messiness of the current political discourse and all that stuff. You know, something feel good. I hope we have a feel good story for today, Jeff, because myself as a classroom teacher, you know, it's been a hard semester. It's been quite a difficult semester. And, you know, of course I got into teaching for, for the love of, of, of service and, and helping young people grow and be great, great humans. And, you know, I know everybody loves teachers, so I'm sure we could find something positive about the teaching profession <laughs> and about uh, America's love for, for the teaching profession. So, so what we got, Jeff, what do we have this week? You know, Manuel, in the, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, in the spirit of giving thanks, I am thankful for your endless uh, positivity, uh, endless <laughs> sense of hope and optimism in in our work and in the world, and uh, even perhaps ironically grateful and thankful for your ability to completely delude yourself into thinking <laughs> things like, like today's passing period was going to be about some beautiful utopian future where people just appreciate the hard work of educators and, and educators are doing right by, by kids and communities and everything is, is great. We're just in a harmonious, uh, you know, utopian cartoon. <laughs> that, is, that is, of course, Manuel, not what we are going to talk about today. Uh, maybe someday, you know, uh, maybe someday. I was, I was uh, this week in, um, in Memphis, Tennessee, in fact, and uh, got a chance to visit the National Civil Rights uh, Museum and uh, was, I mean, first of all, just, you know, very much impacted by the, you know, the experience of standing in the, you know, in the site where, uh, you know, where white supremacist bullet took the life of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and, um you know, doing a lot of reflection in that space because, of course, it's it's been you know converted into a museum that is really a an institution of of public education, right? Um, that is about telling truths about our nation's history um, through the you know through the lens of you know a certain window of the struggle for Black freedom in particular um, in this country and. Um, and I was very much struck, man, while walking around that museum, that virtually everything in that museum, in more than half of the states in this country right now, and, and in many municipalities within those states across the country right now, 
could be considered either illegal content to teach or some sort of you know civil violation um, that could result in professional penalties or as we're going to talk about today, Manuel, even potentially a, a, a bounty, a fine uh, for educators who choose to teach the truth uh, of this nation's history, in particular when it comes to issues of race and racism and racial oppression, uh, along with all the other oppressions. Let's also be <laughs> be real, um, you know, uh, sexism and patriarchy, homophobia, you know, class oppression, etc. Um, but of course, our our good friends on the right wing in this country have seized upon, you know, the topic of race as just being perhaps among the most effective levers to uh, to stir up the base in, in this, you know, disturbing time we now find ourselves. So um, we're going to dig into this story here, folks, uh, through, I mean, I'm sure people have heard a lot about this. Um, we're going to, in particular, uh, start with an article, a really interesting article written by Peter Green in Forbes uh, recently, just about a week ago here, um, that... Uh, is titled New Hampshire and Moms for Liberty Put Bounty on Teachers' Heads, okay? And uh, in a nutshell, New Hampshire's law, which was uh, geared to, you know, to outlaw the boogeyman of CRT uh, in New Hampshire schools and actually passed in June, got national headlines this week because the state's Department of Education in New Hampshire launched their, um, their online mechanism for people to turn in uh, teachers, right, um, to launch an official complaint um, online for teachers or school officials of any kind who are, um, you know, purported to be teaching in a discriminatory fashion. Okay, the the real language that um, the the statute uses is anyone who's teaching. Uh, content that is advocating or identifies one group as inherently superior or inferior to people of another group, inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously, um, advocating that one group should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment, or that uh, a group should not treat members of other identified groups equally. So that is nice, um, you know, race-neutral language in the policy. But we all know what this is about. This is this is about white supremacists wanting to make sure that white people and the mythology uh, of white supremacy in this country is not challenged. And uh, it is with this bounty system and this completely insane group. Uh, I'm sure if we dig deep, you know, we'll find some wealthy right-wing person funding it. Um, but this Moms for Liberty group that uh, is saying, hey, we got $500 for the first successful complaint against educators in the state of New Hampshire. And this, of course, stirred up all kinds of controversy, uh, Manuel, as it, as it rightfully should. So as a teacher who is most certainly teaching white children to hate themselves because they are white, and teaching the superiority of black and brown people over white people, and teaching that uh, black and brown people should commit reverse racism 
structural reverse racism against white people who are just simply hardworking and pulling on their bootstraps to live out the American dream, Manuel, Dr. Rustin, CRT educator in chief. What do you have to say about your dastardly deeds? Uh, you left out cultural Marxist and uh, neo-racist. I'm sorry. Yes, cultural <laughs> neo-racist, cultural Marxist, Dr. Manuel Rustin. So it's interesting because this group, which it's such a lovely name, right? Moms for Liberty. Like, how could you be against moms? And how could you be against Liberty? It sounds so innocent. It's, it reminds me of, um, you know, harkens back to some of the other names that we have seen pop up in these discussions. Uh, what comes to mind for me is the educators for excellence in ethnic studies. Like, who wouldn't want e excellence in ethnic studies? And of course, that group was mm. one that was trying to uh, dismantle ethnic studies as, as we know it in California. But yeah, um, something that this makes me think of is, well, this this bounty tweet that they put out there, $500 for the first person to successfully report a teacher for violating this law. Um, it came on the heels of the Department of Education in New Hampshire putting up a website that was a mechanism for reporting teachers. And my immediate thinking is, was like, well, where was the mechanism before for reporting teachers who were ineffective or who were um, abusive in some way or harmful in some way or for reporting teachers who weren't allowing students to access the curriculum and all, you know, all the other harmful things that, that teachers have done for, that some teachers have done for so, such a long time. It's like they had to invent a new reporting mechanism because clearly the one thing that they are really concerned about and really looking for are teachers who are teaching a truthful history and a truthful frame of viewing systemic racism. Yeah, so what were, what were these mechanisms before? And obviously this is very troubling, Jeff. I went back to an old passing period that we recorded. It was passing period number 33, way back in March, which feels like years ago, but I guess it wasn't that long ago. Back in March, <laughs> uh, March of this year, I should say. And for that passing per period, we're talking about how the State Board of Education in California had just approved the Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum. And in there, I shared that the public comments around the curriculum, which was being developed over the course of four years, only in the final, final rounds of that process did we see any, any public comment that had anything to say about the critical race theory parts of the curriculum. And at round after round of public comment, nobody said anything about this critical race theory part. And then right at the very end, uh, the responses were so overwhelming that it almost got stripped from the curriculum. In any case, in that passing period, Jeff, we asked about what this might mean for educators and for curriculum going forward, this push to take out anything critical. And Jeff, I don't know about you, but if one was to go back to March 21st when we recorded that and tell me that like, oh yeah, within a few months we'll have bounties on teachers who have anything related to race anywhere in the curriculum, I would be like, wait, what? Like even, I mean, little surprises me anymore, Jeff, but when you think about the timing and you think about how quickly this has all happened, I am surprised and I am frightened and I am stunned that something like this could happen as like easily as it has happened. I mean, the governor of New Hampshire came out in response to this bounty call and just basically said like, you know, we got to be careful about what we put up on social media. And, you know, he just some really lame response about this group calling for what they call, I should say, they called it a bounty um, just a really lame response to that. And I'm just like, wow, we've really reached a point now where teachers in New Hampshire, like this isn't even like, not to be stereotypical, but this isn't some like little rural corner of some state down South, like New Hampshire, you can't teach anything that one could deem as critical race theory. And that 
concept has, of course, been watered down so much so that like pretty much anything dealing with race, one could argue is like critical race theory. And this is just very, very frightening for the teaching profession. I imagine there will be many teachers in states like New Hampshire who, for one, totally alter what they do in the classroom because they just don't have the energy to fight this. Like there are certainly going to be teachers who are up for the fight because they know what's right and they know what's wrong and they're not going to be afraid of these partisan attacks. But there are many teachers who are already so overwhelmed with just how difficult the teaching profession is that like the added fear of a parent reporting you through this website and collecting $500 for you getting fired or you being uh, punished in some kind of way. Like, why bother with that? Why not just put out the milk toast generic lesson that is like super safe and that, you know, no one's going to report. So, and that's, you know, that's just in New Hampshire. What about all the other states that have passed similar legislation? North Dakota just signed into law their version of their CRT ban uh, this week, I believe, or like a week or two ago. So this is spreading all over the place and it's going to have a very, very, very negative impact on a lot of things, but focusing on the teaching profession part of it, a very negative impact on the teaching profession and who is willing to be a teacher and what those teachers are willing to even explore or help their students explore, knowing that parents are waiting, waiting for the opportunity to get that lesson plan or get that um, assignment that you sent home and take you to social media and put your name out there and just ruin you. It's it's very terrifying, Jeff. I don't know. I don't know if you remember that conversation back in March of um, oh, this year. Yeah. So I don't know what you would have thought at the time if I would like go back in time and be like, hey, Jeff, in a couple months, man, there's going to be bounties on teachers' heads. I, I know we knew it was going to a not good place, but this this is even yeah, no, quicker. I, 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 I'm going uh, to say, Nawab, I'm not surprised. Um, and I don't think I would have been in that moment in the sense that... Um, I think the writing was very clearly on the wall. Like, so I remember in the earlier conversations we had about this, my big point was, which I still feel like is the major point, is that we're, we are, we being those of us who believe in, in an honest truth uh, about everything, frankly, but like an honest truth about the telling of American history um, and the importance of truth telling uh, in any type of free or democratic society, whatever version of that we have here. Um, the It was clear that what was happening in my mind was not a, an honest debate about is critical race theory right. good or bad or harmful to young children or whatever, right? That this had nothing to do with critical race theory. And um, that critical race theory was simply the, you know, it was the new busing, it was the new tax cuts, it was the new deficit spending, it was just the new right-wing language that was being used to excite people because it, it is effective as an emotional tool, even though the vast majority of people talking about it don't have any type of depth of understanding about what they're actually talking about. And so combating that... It's not helpful to get into an intellectual debate about is CRT being taught? What is CRT? Can you tell me what CRT is? That's irrelevant in my mind to to the conversation. It's a nice intellectual discussion for us to have. And it'd be great if more people did know what critical race theory actually was. Um, But 
what was really being talked about was we want white supremacist mythology as the curriculum and we want whiteness to not be attacked by, uh, by truthful education, right? This was about control and power in the school system and dominance of that uh, by the kind of white status quo, right? And um, and so in, in throughout this time, to me, that has been like the, the big idea that I think we have missed is like when they talk about CRT, we shouldn't say anything about CRT back. We should just say, y'all are some vicious, violent white supremacists who are doing psychological warfare against our children and by extension against society writ large because any type of democracy, and they love to use the word freedom, any type of freedom, any conception of it you can think of, requires truth as a as a base right we, we cannot have freedom if we're it's, it's going to be based on lies and manipulation right and uh and so we should just talk about that y'all are some fascist white nationalists trying to institute this and we oppose you and we're not going to let you do this and i think in my mind, given that we never, we, I mean, not me and you, I guess, but like the powers that be never went there, still haven't really gone there. It's maybe a tinge of it is starting now, I would say, um, in terms of any type of organized opposition. But given that that's what they have been fighting for the whole time, and what we have been doing is saying, but it's not CRT in second grade, or, but you don't even know what CRT is. We haven't effectively been fighting against them, and they've been very successful at passing more and more laws and regulations around the country. Um, and so it's not surprising to me that where that has led is bounties on the heads of teachers um, and people losing their jobs or being threatened in ways that require them to be silent about some of the most important issues we need to be honest about so that we don't get a bunch of Kyle Rittenhouses running around the world murdering people um, because they can and because a judge will let them off. Um, and, and they know, the, the people who support the white supremacist mythology, know that education is a threat to them. It's why they're going after schools from K to university. Um, even pre-K, they're going after like children's books. You know, they're going after A is for anti-racist. Okay, so they're going after all of education from birth to graduate school um, because they know that the strongest weapon against them is just the truth, and they don't actually have an honest uh, clapback against it. So they have to be nefarious and, and manipulative in, in the ways that they are being. We are continuing to be ineffective in, in the opposition, I, I think, although maybe just the, the sheer outrage of some of these, you know, some of these bounty systems and stuff just, uh, you know, may not be able to hold up to scrutiny in court, frankly, even in crazy right wing courts. Like on some level, there's people who might be like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> like this could be weaponized against us, too, kind of a thing. But uh, but I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Um, in other countries, man, well, when this stuff has happened, it has not led to good things, right? Uh, you know, fascist regimes, particularly all throughout Europe, uh, you know, in, in, in our analogous white supremacist context, have done this stuff uh, and didn't work out so well 
in Germany and, you know, Austria and uh, Italy and Spain. And uh, it's not working out great right now in places like Russia and, uh, you know, Hungary. Um, you know, this, this is a hallmark of fascist or right-wing authoritarian uh, political moves. And so uh, stakes are high right now, I think. Right. And I'll say that's all true. However, I definitely say that the speed with which this has happened is surprising because this is, what is this, November, November 20th that we're recording this. So one year ago, last November, the 1776 report hadn't come out yet. Trump had just barely started even mentioning anything about like um, being serious about banning like diversity trainings and things like that in the um, in federal trainings. And the person who's probably most responsible for really getting CRT out there as a, a Republican talking point and putting it on their platform is, is Christopher Rufo. And one year ago, his, his attention was on that ethnic studies model curriculum and he was tweeting about that and not much else was happening or really being said in a serious way about critical race theory. And here we are now within just one year, not only do you have over half the states who have already like introduced bills, debated bills, passed bills, signed them into law, but also this added added part of like setting up mechanisms for, by which to report teachers for violating that. Like that all happened within the span of a year. The ethnic studies curriculum in California took four years to develop and just within one year, we already have these mechanisms in place for reporting teachers. The speed at which with which this happened to me is surprising. It's not surprising that it did happen, that it actually like there is this level of radicalization out there. That part is not yeah, surprising, I, but I, the speed with which I, this has happened, that that is education. Things do not move very fast in education, Jeff. Like they just don't move very fast. And this is something that has swept through in just blindingly well, fast. It is, I, I'm so glad you, you made that point, Manuel. It's a great point. And I think funny enough, your point about thing, things don't happen that fast in education is right and is illustrative of the fact that this isn't actually happening in education in and of itself, right? Right, <laughs> like, right. This, this is happening in our political system, like writ large. And uh, what is, uh, it, it is also illustrative of is the extent to which I am 100% certain, Manuel, that what's happening is massive amounts of money from- Of course. Corporate, corporate donors, Koch brothers, whoever, you know, who, whatever boogeyman type of people on the right are funding these things um, are pouring money into this, right? Of They're course. starting new organizations that never, that like claim to be grassroots, you know, mothers for freedom or whatever, mothers for liberty uh, type of thing, right? Like these aren't real grassroots organizations. These are, these are, um, you know, sort of paper tiger uh fronts that wind up becoming real tigers when people get animated. It's very similar, Manuel, to the Tea Party, to the history of the Tea Party, right? right? Which, uh, you know, you pour tens of millions of dollars into this campaign to animate people um, aggressively and violently about um, these things that you've convinced them that they're under attack and they are the victims of oppression, and pretty soon it begins to just feed, you know, feed itself, right? And we uh, we've seen that um, I think in in multiple kind of spheres of politics, education is just the latest. So right. the growth of it, it is, in that sense, is surprising, but maybe also isn't surprising in that like they're they're playing the same playbook that um, that the Tea Party did, 
that um, they did around caravans are coming to the border, right? Um, there's been these kind of repeated, it's a huge crisis, everyone's animated about it, and then six months later, there's a different huge crisis, right? Which is why we all know the people who have the same set of nutty opinions about like all six things, right? They're the same people who are like, who think MS-13 is coming to ruin us at the southern border, are the same people who don't wear masks, are the same people who, you know, refuse to get the vaccine, are the same people who are now upset about, uh, about CRT, right? Knowing nothing about any of, the, of those topics, but being thoroughly convinced that they do and that they're under attack, right? Yeah, so the, as far as what's happening in the classroom, the LA Times had a really good, really great piece that I want to shout out. Um, that looked at ethnic studies classrooms in the Los Angeles area and what they're actually doing right now. And one of the teachers profiled there, Kimberly Young, super dope educator, uh, super dope ethnic studies educator. Um, and in those humanizing pieces about what this actually looks like, anybody who actually cares about any of this from an education perspective can see that so-called critical race theory, indoctrination, all this stuff isn't doesn't play out the way that uh, the partisan radical attacks make them out to be. So in those pieces, you see that for one, young people can handle these conversations about uh, America's past and present. And you see that children are not taught that anybody is inherently inferior. In fact, it's antithetical to that. The The whole premise behind not just critical race theory, but um, ethnic studies generally is that like, we're not inherently inferior. Nobody's inherently inferior. So what is the reason for all these disparities that we see across everything? And it's analyzing that. And those folks who continue to say that any lesson plan or curriculum that teaches that kids are inferior or that whites are oppressors, I mean, that's how a lot of these bills are written up. And immediately I'm thinking like, well, they're not going to find anything or any examples of that because that's simply not what happens. However, folks see Folks see something and then label it as that's teaching guilt or teaching um, teaching uh, students to, to hate white people. And it just gets out of hand so quickly because there is a lack of depth of understanding about what any of this means. And it's not about critical race theory, obviously. And it's not about schools, as you just pointed out. It's really about race and racism and maintaining the uh, savage white supremacist status quo that we've had for so long. And it's really a battle that's bigger than the teacher. However, it's the teacher at the end of the day who's in the classroom with young people who are curious, who want to know things, who want to learn and want to grow. And it's that teacher who's wondering, will this lesson, will this handout, will this conversation end up on social media, end up on some Republican right-wing podcast? Will my face be splattered over Fox News? Will my name show up in these um, bounty reports for teachers who are violating the law. And at the end of the day, it's that teacher who is caught in a, a situation that is a very, very scary situation to be in, especially if you are in these areas. Now, I happen not to be in New Hampshire, obviously, I'm here in California. And not that there aren't corners of California, areas of California, not corners, but areas, whole areas of California that are very right wing and very much in favor of, of shutting down these conversations. But generally speaking, like I feel safe here where I'm at, but I'm, I'm really worried about all those really good teachers who are out there in areas where the politics of the day simply do not allow them to safely do their job in an honest way. And I'm really worried about how long those teachers are going to stay in the profession and what is going to become of those students who are going to continue to be raised with this 
with this inaccurate view of what America is, this inaccurate view of American exceptionalism in which like any problem boils down to just an individual and everything great is just inherent and, and just unquestionable. And I'm thinking about a example that I saw floating around Twitter of um, a complaint that a person filed. I'm not sure which state, but um, this person said that they took a Boy Scout trip to the Black Hills and during the course of during the course of their hike, they were climbing a peak, and one of the kids said was explaining to other Boy Scouts that they learned in school that white folks had stolen the Black Hills from Native folks, and this person was complaining that like CRT is making it so the kid can't even like enjoy a hike, that the kids can't even view something like the Black Hills without without uh, you know a racist lens, and it's like, well, actually, there's a Supreme Court case that verified that you know stood up to the fact that the U.S. had illegally appropriated that region, and it's like this kid's not lying, and what the kid was taught is truthful, and that's not critical race theory. That's just having a, a, a accurate historical lens about how we came about this land, how we came about these systems that we have, and to shut all that down and to put it on teachers, on individual teachers in the classroom to make the choice of, are you going to go against this wave and risk your job? Not just your job, but your your everything, your peace of mind, your, I mean, let's not act like there's no real threat of violence, no real threat of folks showing up at your house complaining about what you've done. Like, are you willing to risk all that? Or are you going to, for the sake of yourself, for the sake of your family, just go ahead and just play along and just do a milk toast version of, of history and social sciences? It's a very scary place to be. And as you said, in other countries where this has happened, it has not ended well. It has not gone well. And if anybody thinks that we are exaggerating, that we're like putting too much on this, that, you know, this isn't the road to fascism. This is just, you know, political political theater in order to get some votes and stuff. Like the person who I just mentioned earlier, uh, Christopher Rufo, who really, you know, hats off to him if you want to if you want to use that phrase. Like he really, really was successful in making critical race theory what it is today in the public discourse. Just a week ago, he tweeted out, and I'm, I'm quoting here, he tweeted out, quote, it's time to clean house in America remove the attorney general, lay siege to the universities, abolish the teachers' unions, and overturn the school boards. End quote. That was his tweet. Now, if that's not fascist, if that's not like, let's tear down whatever little bits of democratic uh, protections that we have here and just install an authoritarian white supremacist government, then I don't know what is. So like, this isn't... I. I hate to be here and just talk about these very, very like dark and dangerous stories all the time, but it's, it's, we're there. Like it's, this is, this should be issue number one. This is an all hands on deck situation. I don't think we're exaggerating, Jeff. I don't think you're exaggerating when you point out all the other countries that have had similar, similar roads and how it ended for them. Like, I don't think that's an exaggeration. As a history teacher, I can tell you like, you know, quote unquote, history repeats itself. Like there's nothing about, nothing you could look at in history to say like, oh, that can't happen here. Or that's, you know, there's no way that's going to happen here. Someone's going to be like, oh, this is BS and just throw that out. Like you can't convince me that we're, safe here. Like, that's not to say like every day I'm going around in panic mode, but this is a look at all that has happened in one year. So imagine what the next year or two could bring if we don't successfully address this and successfully help folks, just everyday folks across the country understand what's happening and understand the danger of what's happening. Yeah. Uh, I think you bring up a lot of really important points there, Manuel. And um, most importantly, that 
that we are not exaggerating, right? Like the the stakes of this moment are extremely high, and the the writing on the wall is very very clear. Like they're they they have moved from using ambiguous language, right? The sort of language of the of the George W. Bush Dick Cheney era, which was which was like we're just going to talk about freedom and patriotism, right? To now the the uh, Christopher Rufo <laughs> language, which is like we're, we're going to burn all the liberal books and <laughs> like throw out all the elected officials and replace lay siege yeah. to the universities. Right. Like what the right. hell are you talking about? Lay siege to the this universities, is people man. Always, you know, I, I feel like with young people especially, but it, 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 people generally are always like, I can't imagine how, like, the Nazis came to power. Or I can't imagine how you could have been, like, a slave in America on a plantation and not, like, run away or rebelled or whatever, right? Um, and I think, if, if nothing else, we should take from this historical moment some humble pie to say, like, this is exactly how Nazis came to power, just like what we're experiencing right now. And... The, uh, you know, the fact that people who have been oppressed and in bondage didn't run away every single, you know, all of them didn't run away every day, right? We're experiencing, in, a, in obviously not, you know, perfect analogy here, right? But like, we're experiencing a tiny piece of that, right? That like, when you are, <laughs> when you are threatened uh, and your very, you know, livelihood may be at stake, it is very difficult for people to take that sort of ultimate risk and become the Harriet Tubman, right? And that and that is not uh, to you know that is not to cast aspersions upon anyone in this equation right now who's like, hey, look, man, I got a mortgage to pay. I got you know, I you know, I support my elderly parents who rely on my income. Like, I can't make waves, right? There's all kinds of reasons that people. Um, you know, may may feel threatened in this moment and not want to just take up the resistance. Um, but what do we do in this moment, Manuel? Right, and I, I don't think it's hopeless. I think there's actually a lot of um, reason for us to still remain optimistic at this point in time. One is there's always strength in numbers and organizing, and the good news is there's more of us than there are of them. And um, we do have still at this time organizations and some small bit of, uh, you know, legitimacy in our legal system to challenge some of these laws. Right. Like as I look at this New Hampshire law and the FAQs that are on the attorney general's uh, website in the state of New Hampshire, it's very clear that they wrote this law and were like anticipating legal challenge. Right. So they have an FAQ that's like, you know, um, uh, if a parent or student has complained that certain lessons, subjects or areas of discussion related to racism have made them uncomfortable, has the school district violated the prohibition on teaching discrimination? And they say in no uncertain terms, no. Right. It's important to note that teaching racism, sexism, etc., cetera, um, may make students, faculty or parents uncomfortable. That is not a violation of this law. So there's things like that that shows me that they still have. Uh, a recognition that there is some potential institutional pushback that could be leveraged against them, right? Now, I don't know if I have a ton of confidence in that, in that institutional pushback, but they are still recognizing that it's a it's a liability for them, and they have to respond to it, right? So, we'll, we I think 
you know, one lever and strategy can and should be massive legal challenges to these policies across the board. Like, I don't know where the ACLU is. Um, apparently, 10 of the 17 members of the New Hampshire governor's um, diversity task force resigned after this uh, after this latest development. And one of them is like the a high up official in the New Hampshire ACLU. So I don't know what that dude is working on right now in terms of lawsuits, but there better be like six against this <laughs> against this law in the works immediately. Right. Um, the other side of the coin here, Manuel, that I think is interesting is I wonder about proactively using this law in some way similar to what the legal history of challenges was. Uh, against Jim Crow segregation, which was like, okay, so you you think we have to have separate but equal. Well, we're going to sue you to make sh sure that things are equal when they are separate. And the reality is, of course, nothing was equal when it was separate. So you're exposing the inherent contradiction in the law um, using the law itself, right? And I think this type of law is very much open to that because the reality is that pushing out uh, truthful conversations about American history and enshrining the kind of curriculum that they want to enshrine actually teaches the inherent inferiority of black people, Native Americans, you know, Latinos, Asian Americans, etc. Right. Because just like you were saying earlier, right, we have all this data across the board that shows the obvious evidence of structural and systemic racism in our society. If you say that can't be the answer, what you're left with is this must be the result of some type of inherent inferiority of all these people of color, because otherwise they'd be as successful as the white people, because clearly it's not structural oppression. And clearly it's not that every white person is in the Klan. Right. And so I wonder if there's even potentially a challenge to say, like, hey, your supposedly race neutral curriculum is actually teaching the inherent inferiority of people of color um, that could be leveraged. Now, again, do I think that would be a successful challenge? Probably not. But it could gum up the system enough to to force change. Right. And then, of course, there's just like we teachers are not small in number. Right. Like educators can unite. We have unions. We have, you know, the right to due process in, in most places around the country. And, you know, we got to do old school stuff, potentially consider strikes or, you know, work stoppages of some form or another, uh, legal defense funds to be set up for folks who are challenging these kinds of things. Like we have tools of resistance that are available to us um, that, you know, don't have to wait four years for another election cycle um, to help start pushing back. Um, and then, of course, there's parents and families who can say this is some not, you know, racist nonsense. And we support educators who are going to challenge this. So we got tools, I guess, is what I'm saying, Manuel. And in as much as this is super depressing that we are here <laughs> at this point in human history, it, all hope is not lost. Right. And we we do have things we can do to um, to push back against this because the threat is is very real. Yeah. The threat is very real. And folks, we know that you are doing the best you can in however you are involved in education, whether it be as a teacher, as a administrator, as a district person, or a curriculum person, or a parent of a young one who's in the system. So uh, we are in this together, of course, AOTA family, and we are uh, working hard together to create a humanizing school system that helps young people grow up to not be these racist I have other words. I'm going to reserve those words. It's to not be these these racist folks out there who are trying to um, 
usher in an era of fascism in the United States that's going to shut down so much of our hope and promise of our most marginalized communities. And next week, actually, on this show, next week we have a speaker who I feel uh, brings a lot of a lot of hope and promise to these conversations, and that's Ken Shelton. Ken Shelton is going to uh, join our show, and we'll mostly be talking about uh, his work in technology in in ed tech ed tech and, and using technology in the classroom, but in such a way as to humanize, in such a way as to help our most marginalized students. And he is a phenomenal, phenomenal leader in education who some of you might know from some of his his writings or his, his speaking. And definitely you don't want to miss that. That's coming up next week. And the video version of that will be on Spotify as well as our YouTube channel uh, for those of you that want to see the, the visual dopeness. And of course, if you are somebody who's committed to supporting the teaching of truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, definitely um, consider going to our website, aotashow.com slash support to see how you can get one of our shirts or sweaters uh, that are emblazoned with the promise to teach the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. All right, folks. So for this week's passing period, that about does it. We very much appreciate you listening. We very much appreciate your support. We love y'all. We hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving week, whatever that might look like for you, whether you celebrate or not and whether you have to work or not. We hope it's a fantastic week for you. Next Saturday, full episode with Ken Shelton. You don't want to miss that. All right, folks, now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.